Well, I was heading up to the Katoomba Youth Convention for the first time, and John Chapman rang me up and said, are you nervous, brother? I said, I'm not nervous to preach, but I'm nervous for the question time, <laughs> because I knew that there'd be two to 3,000 young adults there, and they could ask anything, and they'd expect that I'd have the answer. Chapo said, oh, don't worry about that, brother. Uh, every question a believer asks can be answered by the letter to the Romans, and every question an unbeliever asks can be answered by the resurrection of Jesus. Easy. Right. <laughs> so I thought, right, Romans, resurrection, that's all I need to keep in mind. It's pretty right, too. Uh, when you come to the letter of Romans, have you noticed that really what we've read here is what is quite unique about the Christian faith? And I guess if you wanted to get Romans into two verses, you'd have to look at chapter 3, verse 24 and 25. And that is that we are justified, we are in the right with God the judge, by grace, contrary to our deserving, through faith in the work of the Lord Jesus. We're justified by grace, contrary to our deserving, through faith in the work of Jesus. And that is the centre of the Christian gospel. That is the centre of the Christian message. That is the centre of Romans. And Paul applies that message so that when we got to chapter 6 to 8, he showed us how that works out in practice for us as individuals. When John White wrote that book on Christian living, he called it the fight. And uh, that sets out that now you're a Christian, there's a fight going on between the flesh and the spirit. But in chapter 6 to 8, the Apostle Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit now is in the ascendancy. And if you are justified by grace through faith, then victory is assured. And we know that the end, the fight will end in victory beyond our imagination. But now he comes to chapters 12 to 14. And he says, how does this apply now for us as a community? What difference is there in being part of this community from being part of the community which meets at the Oxford Tavern on the corner, the corner pub here? What difference can you expect being part of this community, justified by grace through faith in Jesus, and being part of that community? Now, it's interesting that as we come to chapter 14, we are coming to a letter to Romans in the first century. The first century culture of Rome was brutal. Uh, a great majority of the population was made up of prisoners of war because the Romans were great military victors and they would take many of their victims as POWs. The legal system in Rome was designed to treat you fairly if you were a citizen and if you were part of a legal religion. And so you knew that when the beasts were crying out in the Colosseum, they were never crying out, for example, for Jewish blood. Because if you were a Jew, you were part of a legal religion. And as long as you're a Christian and thought to be a, really a Jew, you were safe under the umbrella of the Jewish faith. But once it became apparent that Christians were different to Jews, well, you knew that the system wasn't going to protect you. And you also knew that Nero, who was the emperor, was an uncivilised, cruel brute, and he was out to get you. Now, that was the system, that was the culture, that was the society in which you lived as a Christian person. And there was a church in that society. And it was made up of people initially who had gone to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, had heard about Jesus and brought that message back. And so as you looked around church, you would see believers from a Jewish background 
and you'd see believers from a non-Jewish or a Gentile background. And roughly half the congregation would be Jewish believers and half the congregation would be Gentile believers. And so here was a recipe for disunity. Now, I think back to our first church uh, where we went in ministry, and it was We War. 75% of the congregation were Americans who had come from California to grow cotton. Now, you imagine there's seeds for disunity there. The last church we were a part of before we came here was Chinese Presbyterian Church, where you had people who were overseas-born Chinese, Australian-born Chinese, Mandarin speakers, Cantonese speakers, and English speakers. It's a recipe, isn't it, for disunity. Disunity is always, and division is always a possibility. And now, of course, we find ourselves here, nestled at Des Moines Presbyterian Church. How are we politically here? I think we're fairly diverse from comments I hear and I make. What do you think about, what do you think about climate change? What do you think about The Voice? I'm not talking about the TV program, I'm talking about the referendum. What do you think about the new king and the monarchy compared to the republic? Where you are educationally? Where are you wealth-wise? What do you think about the education of our children? What do you think about the sacraments? What do you think about liturgy? What do you think about music in church? You see, division is as easy as, but it does seem to me that the world is becoming far more antagonistic towards us in the past, the world just sort of ignored us. But now there is an actual hatred of believers in the world. And that means that our culture, our society, our family is going to be far more important to us. That this is going to be a haven in Nero's world where we can come and we can know substantial restoration of relationships. Now look back, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, and Paul is writing to the believers who are in the city of Ephesus. And uh, I think that's page 1763. Just have a look at that, because Paul writes there about the fact that uh, he urges them to live a life worthy of their calling, and he says, what does that mean? Be eager, the word he uses is zealous, so when Onesimus came to, Onesiphorus came to Rome, he had to search zealously, enthusiastically, keenly to find the Apostle Paul. And Paul uses the same word, be eager, be enthusiastic, what? To maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, our great goal is not unity. Notice it is unity in the spirit. The spirit is the spirit of truth. So we don't sacrifice truth for the sake of unity. Rather, we are looking for unity in the environment of truth, which honours the spirit of truth. But Paul says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. As you live in Nero's world, you are having a haven in the community of the Lord Jesus. Now come back with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 14, and I want to just say three things from this section. First, the direction which Paul gives. Secondly, he gives a couple of case studies. And thirdly, he underlines this with the principle. That's page 1818. Unity is to be maintained. Here's the direction. Paul draws a distinction between the strong in the faith and the weak in the faith. The strong in the faith are Christians from a Gentile background who will eat anything without a conscience. 
The weak in the faith are Christians from a Jewish background whose conscience is still sensitive and governed by the Old Testament food laws, so they'll be more particular in what they eat. And Paul says in verse 1, the strong are to welcome the weak literally to their side. There is to be no division, he says, over matters of dialogue or disputables. Verse 2, the strong will eat anything, the weak are more particular about what they eat, they are vegetarians. Verse 3, here's the direction. If you are strong, don't you look down or act superior or treat with contempt those who are more particular with their diet. And if you are one of the ones who is more particular with your diet, don't you pass judgment on the strong who will eat anything as though oh, they're, they're liberal or they're compromised. Now that is what each of you are to do. And if you look in verse three, you will see why we are to do it. And the reason is that God has accepted them. So if you're justified by grace through faith in Jesus as a meat eater or as a vegetarian, you're justified by grace through faith in Jesus. It's the same justification. It's the same grace. It is the same uh, faith in Jesus. So that, friends, family, is the basis of our precious family union. And it's great to think about that, isn't it? We are united. We are a family. One of the things I really enjoyed listening to Dave about is we're not just friend friendly, we are friends, we are moving towards family. And last week we were at church in Armadale and an old lady got up to the microphone and she had a walking stick and she said, isn't Sunday wonderful? It's when my family, my family really meets. And it's a wonderful thing that we meet in the midst of a big city like this, but we are meeting with family members. And so Paul says, respect, be zealous about maintaining your unity. Now, secondly, he looks at case studies. There will be some, he says in verse five, who treat one day as more sacred than another. They treat Sabbath, uh, Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday. They treat it more specially as any other day. And there are others who treat every day the same. Verse 6, he says you are developed conviction before God. Whether you're a meat eater or not, you develop your conviction before the Lord and make whatever your conviction is a matter of thanks to him. Now, you'll notice here, it struck me that Paul is being warm and pastoral. He's not being warm and pastoral when he writes to the Galatians or the Colossians because he says there the church has been infiltrated by those who say you must be a vegetarian if you're going to be saved. And they'd say, yes, justification is by grace through faith in Jesus, plus you must do this or not do that. And Paul sees that as a direct assault on the gospel. And so he says, let these people be eternally condemned. But that's not the case here in Rome. What we're having here in Rome is tension and quarrelling because there is disunity over these disputable matters, these debatable matters and the unity of the justified, which you don't find anywhere else. We are to work hard on maintaining that. Now, here's a principle. Thirdly, we live in answer to the Lord. Verse 9, Jesus died and rose. He is the Lord of the dead and the living. And so how dare we sit in judgment as though I am the master on the throne and you've got to therefore agree with everything that I believe in. Verse 11, he quotes from Isaiah 45, where Isaiah says, God swears by himself because there is no higher authority 
that every knee will bow to me and every tongue confess that he is Lord. So get ready for that accounting. Work out your convictions and you know that that day is coming. You're not going to answer to one another, but you are going to answer to God. He alone is Lord. Verse 12, he sums up. So each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So I take it, therefore, on the basis of these verses, our unity is to be respected. We're justified by grace through faith in Jesus, but our diversity is also to be respected. We don't think the same on every issue. We are not robots. Now, what is a disputable issue? Just because there might be a dispute does not mean that that is a disputable issue. In the fourth century, there was a great dispute going on in the church because a man called Arius had become very popular in teaching that Jesus is less than God. He's semi-divine. And that became a real disputable issue. And yet, really, it's not a disputable issue, is it? The scripture is absolutely clear that Jesus is fully God, that he is son of God by his resurrection from the dead. So there was disputing, but it was disputing over an indisputable issue. And in the first two centuries of the church, there were people called Gnostics, and they taught that flesh is evil and wicked, and God could never become flesh. They made that a matter of dispute, but it's indisputable, isn't it? That scripture is quite clear that Jesus came as God, he became real man. Jesus came as a real man in real flesh. So just because there might be dispute, it doesn't mean that the issue is disputable. It may well be that we're just disputing about indisputables. There are indisputables. Let me name a few. Stealing, respect the goods of others. It's indisputable that scripture says that stealing is against the will of God. Lying, respecting the truth. Lying is against the will of God. It is indisputable. Deceit and hypocrisy build up your integrity. It's indisputably wrong. Murder, taking the life of someone. It is indisputably wrong. Where scripture is rightly understood, it is clear, the matter is not disputable. It is indisputable. Not no debate about it. It may be confronting to our culture, but we are beyond dispute. It's the main reason, isn't it, that we're different to the Oxford Tavern. Jesus rules this community. And Jesus rules this community through his word, the Bible. So where the Bible is clear, the matter is indisputable. And we are one in that matter. Now, it may well be that the matter is very disputable out there in the world. Let me give some examples. Homosexual activity. The world can argue that it is a social construct. The world can say that love is love. But scripture is clear. And a person who is tempted in this area needs pastoral support. But we come with humility and with clarity and say it is an indisputable. Uh, flu gender fluidity. God created male and female. It's clear we come with humility. But we say it's beyond dispute. God has made his word clear. Oh, but I'm a good person. You will not see or enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again of the spirit of God. Oh, but I'm a good person. It is an indisputable truth. You need to be born again. 
Justification is by grace through faith in Jesus. Oh, well, I'll come some other way. No, you will not find justification in any other way. It is an indisputable. Well, okay, you say, well, that's all right. Well, what are some of the disputables? <laughs> well, I, I'm sorry you asked. I'll get in trouble here. But it's all right. I mean, I live here, so you can't kick me out or sack me. Um, <laughs> It's interesting, isn't it? When you pick up your New Testament, it doesn't read like Leviticus. Leviticus has rules and regulations. Leviticus imposes on the people of God uniformity. New Testament doesn't do that. The New Testament, there's a certain openness and latitude about it. Romans, Ephesians, when it comes to ethical injunctions, are more open than Leviticus. So at the risk of getting myself into trouble, let me give you some disputables. You ready? <laughs> Baptism. Should we baptise adults only or adults and their children? And should we sprinkle, splash or immerse? I think scripture's open. You develop your conviction. Someone else may well think differently to you, but that's freedom. I can see how you get to your point, but this is how I get to my point. Women preaching to a mixed audience you may not agree with me about that, but I can see how you get to your point and I, you might see how I get to my point. There's a certain openness in the New Testament about that. Educating our children in homeschooling, private or public schooling, uh, the republic or the monarchy, how we should use our money in investments, how we should use our retirement, whether or not I should drink, should I be a total abstainer or should I drink in temperance? Constitutional change, will you vote yes or no? What do you think about climate change and environmentalism? What do you think when it comes to liturgies? What do you think about government by elders compared to government by bishops? What do you think about eschatological structures? That is the exact timetable of how the Lord Jesus is going to be retur returning. I put all of these into the disputable category whereby there can be some latitude and therefore one particular view is not necessarily to be imposed. In the 16th century when Martin Luther, the Augustinian monk, uh, understood the gospel in its fullness and the church was reformed, many former Roman Catholics flooded into the church it was a recipe for, for disunity. And Luther at that point wrote a little booklet called The Freedom of the Christian Man. I encourage you to read it. It's a one, you'll read it in an hour. But in that book, Martin Luther says this, the Christian man, the Christian, is the most free Lord of all, subject to none. The Christian is the most dutiful servant of all, subject to all and that is the truth that I stand in freedom subject only to Christ but at the same time as John our New Zealand friend who's preaching next week he'll show that we also stand in submission to one another and we exercise our freedom with great sensitivity to one another our goal must not be that we think the same on disputable matters but that we hear, understand, and believe what God says. So here we are, the community of Christ, 
the community in which Christ rules by his spirit through his word, the Bible. If the Bible's open, disputable. The Bible is clear, indisputable. One in indisputables, diverse indisputables. Uh, in our bio home group, we have a member of our home group who's got the habit of reading from a paraphrase called The Message. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, so I've decided to write a response and write the message to me. Okay, you ready? So I'm paraphrasing this section. Who am I to pass judgment or rate myself superior to my brother or sister just because we differ on some disputable subject? If I'm honest, I can see both sides of the argument in scripture. We both will answer to the Lord, so we are to develop our convictions on these things before him as those who will answer to him. I'm not Lord of me, Jesus is. And so I'm certainly not Lord of you, Jesus is your Lord too. So I must not despise you or pass judgment on your spiritual maturity over these matters when we disagree. Every knee will bow to Jesus, so get ready for that day. It is a privilege to be part of the community here at Tremoyne of those who are justified by grace through faith in Jesus. And this is what I pray for myself, that my every word and look will show my eagerness to promote our family unity, my open associations and conversations with all will promote our family unity. How good it is that we are not robots, that God leaves so many issues open for us to apply our renewed mind to, and we may well reach different conclusions on these matters and yet still rejoice in being part of the family of the justified by grace through faith. So David, here's your rule. Unity in indisputables where scripture is clear, that makes us family. Diversity in disputables, that makes us such a colourful and rich family. My goal must not be that everyone thinks the same about everything as I do, but that I hear, understand and believe what God says in the Bible and encourage my brothers and sisters to do the same.